Yes. Day and age. Now, at this hour, but uh, only the real fans, the true hardcore fans that have been with us since the beginning, only they would know uh, the two main predominant facts about the both of us. Uh, two facts, 100% true and not made up on the spot facts, about you and I, America's hottest podcasters, Bunny and Steve. First and foremost, Bunny is the fact, the undeniable fact that I really appreciate you, Bunny, and all of the hard work you do for this none-too-popular podcast. Just want to take this to be serious and say that you do a lot of work for a, a podcast that it, that that it is uh, beloved in Vietnam <laughs> and Kent, Ohio, and nowhere else. Yes. Well, you do a lot of work for this show, and I just want to say that I really appreciate you, Bunny. You are seen. Thank you. And I'm hoping that when you think about this podcast, it feels like home to you. You feel held. Yes. You feel held. (laughs) And the second fact that you would know about me is that I'm a lover of history. I love it, but I'm also a storyteller. So what I like to do is I like to find a story from the history books, maybe one that people don't know too well, and reword it via my own unique storytelling style. And that's what this is, another educationally uneducational installment of. Thanks. Steve's Historic Approximations. Or chef, as I like to call it, repeatedly, annoyingly, whether anyone wants me to or not. Personally, I like the name Shap. It's short, but it's loud. It's the Joe Pesci of podcast segments. Anywho, this week on the old Shappity Shap Shaps, we will be doing a very short Shap, a short, sharp Shap, as Pink Floyd would say about one of the most well-known songs in America and the lyrics that will surprise you. Now, in order to talk about this beloved piece of Americana, I need to discuss a songwriter. His name is, and I love this about him, Albert Von Tilzer. Okay. I love that name because that name is a story. See, his real name was Albert Gum. G-U-M-M. His parents were Sarah and Jacob Gabinski, which I'm pretty sure is the guy who trains mice in Coraline. Okay. But that's beside the point. But Albert Gum wanted to move to the big city and make it big. Like so many young people. That's the American dream. Uh, when he got to be older, he, adu- he, he wanted a better name because he felt like he wasn't going to be a super big success with the name Albert Gum. So uh, when he got older, he adopted his mother's maiden name, which was Tilzer. So now he's Albert Tilzer. And OK, that's a bit fancier than Albert Gum. But still, he needs something to put him over the top, you know? Yeah. If Albert Gum is going to make it big, he needs a better name. So he adds a Vaughn for no reason. The guy's white, sure, but he's not German. He was born in Indianapolis in 1878. But he, ch- he changed his name to Albert Von Tilzer. Okay. 
and it caught the hell on. Suddenly people are looking at him different, you know? People are seeing him as classy and noble, and eventually his three brothers also adopt the last name Von Tilzer. <laughs> That's so great. Changing your name, just make it something different, something special. I love that. FYI, my new name is now Baron Stephen Von Dirchfall. Okay. Name. Baron Stephen von Dirchfall. Uh, just FYI, Dirchfall, D-U-R-C-H-F-A-L-L, is German for, no, I'm not telling you. You can bing it for yourself. <laughs> wow, that's what that means? No, that's not what it means. I'm not telling you what it means. I know what it means. Germans have a word for everything. <laughs> yeah, if there is ever going to be a language where uh, the language has a word for something so specific, it would probably be German. Yeah. But I'm not going to tell you what it means, but it, I like the name Baron Stephen von... Dirchfall, because one person will say, what a fancy name. And then the other person will say, I agree. And then the third person will say, here, here. And then the fourth person, the only one who does know German, is going, the fuck? <laughs> that's, what, <laughs> that's what that name is. So that's a fun little thing for people to figure out on their own. Anywho... Von Dirchfall goes to the big city, New York City, not Kent, Ohio. The big city, New York. Big Apple, the big, the big bowl of spaghetti is what they call it. Big Corona Burger. The city that has sleep problems. So it doesn't get a lot of sleep because it's up all night is what they call it. And uh, Von Tilzer wants to make a name for himself, and his eyes quickly focus on a place called Tin Pan Alley. Okay. So in the late 19th century and early 20th century, music, popular music, I mean, sure, there were records, but not everybody had a record player. It wasn't the world's most popular thing, especially in the 1890s and the 1900s and the 1910s. Most of the time, if you wanted to hear music, you had to listen to the radio or see it perform live at a concert or at vaudeville. Or another very popular way to listen to a popular to popular music was you bought the sheet music took it home, and listened to the song by just fucking playing it yourself on the grand piano that everyone had. Yeah. And I love that so much of, like, DIY music. Yeah. You know? So Tin Pan Alley was an area in Manhattan, specifically West 28th Street, between 5th and 6th Avenue, where most popular music publishers and songwriters pick out popular songs. But so that's Tin Pan Alley. But I just want to put a pin on that because we're all about pins yes. in uh, Steve's historic approximations, which I spell capital S, capital H, capital A. Lowercase p. Yes. Just to be clear. So I love the idea of like, hey, you want to hear this pop song? Here's sheet music. Fucking make it yourself and hear it. And I and I would like to think 
that there is some alternate universe out there where that still became the primary way to listen to music was to buy the sheet music and just bring it home and listen to it yourself. And so it's like the 1970s and it's, it's like, oh, we're going to yeah. go buy the Led Zeppelin album. So you go to the store and you buy, like, we want Led Zeppelin 4. And it's like, okay, here's the sheet music, a pack of cigarettes, yeah. and a bottle of whiskey. This is the new Led Zeppelin album. <laughs> so you drink the entire bottle of whiskey and smoke the entire bottle of cigarettes, and you're playing Stairway to Heaven on the piano. <laughs> all whacked out of your on your ass. If you buy Sublime's new album, you get the sheet music, a neck tattoo, and a criminal record. <laughs> and I just love the idea. No, of like, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of getting lost in the idea of it. So, like, you would have a particular song then, which would have really drastic regional differences yeah. is kind yeah. of how I'm picturing it. Well, that's how we play it around here. You know, like the fucking rules to Monopoly. Everybody has their own rules to Monopoly. That's really interesting. So like, like, hey, did you hear the new song All Star by Smash Mouth? And in Kentucky, it's like, oh, yeah, we love it. And they get the banjo. Yeah. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. Yeah. You know? And that's all star there. That's interesting. Yeah, so there's all these regionally different versions of the exact same song. You can have a punk version, a metal version, a disco version, a fucking old version. You know, yeah. what are some what are some genres from this century? <laughs> no, that was still the nineties. Yeah, that's interesting. I love that. There, yeah, you can spend a lot of time in this alternate universe thinking up different albums. Let's think about how many people achieve this. Oh, let's play it on. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's another good point. People changing the tempo. It's yeah. just like how uh, that thing you do became popular. That some people are playing uh, like Enter Sandman really slow. And some people are doing like, oh, this is a fun song. Bye, bye, Miss American Pie. Draw my Chevy to the levee. Wait, but yeah. really interesting. People are interesting. The tempo just keeps changing depending on who's playing it. Yeah. Oh, a lot to think about in this alternate universe. A lot to think about. I, 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 yeah, I thought of a whole lot of things right there that I couldn't get out of my mouth. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Vaughn, I, I totally lost it. So Vaughn Tilzer heads to Tin Pan Alley, and soon he has his own publishing company. Because apparently Albert Von Tisler is just... He, he just got the music bug and he's cranking out songs. He's cranking out a ton of songs and a lot of them are pretty big hits. I have a list of some of his songs right here. Uh, uh, Albert Von Tilzer is cranking out songs, including but not limited to The Alcoholic Blues. Okay. Chili Bean. 
Dapper Dan. I'd like to think those two are AEW's newest tag team. Should we be <laughs> Dapper Dan? Uh, I'll be with you in Apple Blossom time. In Apple oh, Blossom I won't be time. In regular time. Only in Apple Blossom time. I'll be with you in Apple Blossom time. Yes. No other time. No. And my favorite title, uh, uh, Oh by Jingo, Oh by Gee, You're the Only Girl for Me. Okay. <laughs> To it on YouTube before we did the podcast. It's crap. <laughs> oh, by Jingo. Oh, by Gee. You're the only girl for me. Okay. It, it, it reminded me a lot of um, Eep Op Orc Ah uh-uh, That means I love you. <laughs> That's what it reminded me of. And Elroy Jetson accidentally wrote that song. Yes. So in the beginning of the 19th century, Albert von Tilzer meets up with another songwriter. His name was Jack Norworth, a nice guy and a good lyricist. And together they're looking for a big hit. Hey, you've had some hits. I've had some hits. Let's team up. We'll create a big hit. Okay, we're going to write a song. We're going to write a song and it needs to be popular. Maybe we can write a song about what's popular. Well, it's 1908. What's freaking popular? Uh, dying of curable diseases? Yeah. Like, hey, plumbing. Like, I don't know. What, 1908. What's popular in 1908? Our new song is called Kicking a Can Down the Road by Jove. Yes. And so they're looking for something to write a song about. Uh, it's 1908. Jack Northworth is writing a subway to work and he sees an ad baseball today at the polo grounds. Jack Northward goes to work. He's talking to Von Tilzer and their consensus is apparently this baseball sport is popular in America. Let's write a song about it. And that song was Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Okay. Um, so, yeah, this song is – so, yeah. Uh, in 1908, they released the song by Jack Northworth and Albert Von Tilzer. Here's uh, two things about this song. Number one, both men had never been to a baseball game. Okay. Important fact. Uh, and number two, uh, Jack Northworth specifically – he didn't uh, go to a game until 1940. <laughs> and number two, the song has a plot. All we're singing is the chorus. This is a full-length fucking song. <laughs> okay. With characters and a movie and 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 a plot. And it's shocking to me that people don't know this. (laughs) So their idea wasn't just, we're going to write a song about peanuts and Cracker Jacks. No, they wrote a song with a plot about a woman who's obsessed with baseball. So I've got the lyrics here. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 1908 version of Take Me Out to the Ball Game. It is astonishing. 
This song is so super popular. Both of those men, Albert von Tilzer, great, horrible name, and Jack Northworth are both in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I love the fact that the Baseball Hall of Fame has a guy with a fake Vaughn in his title, a guy who didn't go to a baseball game until about 15 years before he died, Homer Simpson, who doesn't exist, and Abbott and Costello. All five of these people are in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and I love that. (laughs) You know, is Paul Newman in the Hockey Hall of Fame? Paul Newman should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. And the Hanson brothers. Yeah. Are they in the Hockey Hall of Fame? They should be. Anyway, so (laughs) here's the lyrics to the original 1908 version of Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Katie Casey was baseball mad, had the fever, and had it bad. Just to root for the hometown crew, every Sue Katie Blue. Now, you have to look that up. The term Sue means a coin of French origin, which at the time was common slang for a low-denomination coin. In French, the expression sans les sous means that you're penniless. Most of the time um, in America, if someone used the full lyrics to the song, which they hardly ever did, they replaced sous, S-O-U, with cent. It's basically kind of the same thing. So every cent, Katie Blue, on on a Saturday, her young beau called to see if she'd like to go to see a show. But Miss Katie said, no, I'll tell you what you can do. And there's the chorus, take me out to the ball game, take me out with the crowds. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack. I don't care if I ever get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame for it's one, two, three strikes you're out at the old ball game. Then there's another verse. Katie Casey saw all the games, knew the players by their first names, told the umpire he was wrong all along, good and strong. When the score was just two to two, Katie Casey knew what to do. Just to cheer up the boys she knew, she made the gang sing this song, and then it's the chorus again. Take Me Out to the Ball Game has characters, lyrics, and a plot. And it's shocking to me that this is one of the most well-known songs in the history of America. If you go to downtown if you go to Times Square and ask people yeah. for the no one will be able to tell you those lyrics no despite the fact that this is a song that they could probably all sing even people who don't know sports they could sing the chorus they will have no idea that there that there are lyrics to this that is, a, <laughs> that is astounding I, I would imagine hardcore baseball fans would I don't know uh, the only person I can think of that would know uh, that would know um, the lyrics to this is uh, Harry Carey. Yeah, Harry Carey could probably sing all of it. 
I don't think anybody else could. Let's get let's get uh what's the name, the name of the drugged up guy? Just crazy. as a just as a side note, since my since I have never actually seen this man Harry Carey, my brain automatically feeds me Will Ferrell. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! yeah. Will Ferrell was so great. What's your favorite planet? Mine's <laughs> the sun. But yeah, we need to track down a total nutbag, Jose Canseco, and see if he knows the lyrics. That'll be the ultimate test. <laughs> Canseco is crazy. We've been over that on the podcast. Yeah. But yeah, that's a shap for this week. Uh, I find it fascinating that uh, yes, there's lyrics to this song. We all know it. But I, Katie Casey. Yeah. Astonishing. And I know I say this at the end of most shops, but I'm shocked that more people don't know that story. More people that, should. Yeah, they should. It's America. It's America. Yes. So that's it for Steve's Historic Approximations this week. Be sure and join us next week for more educationally uneducational fun with Steve's Historic Approximations. And cut on that. Bunny! Yes. We need to talk about uh, this week's movie. And I've got a lot about it. Do we really, do we really have to talk about this fucking movie? <laughs> I wanted to put it in context, but that became this big, difficult thing. I suddenly have to talk about where Madonna was you know, prior, like her background. And then I had to talk about Guy Ritchie's background and how they got, why they got married. And then I started getting into uh, Madonna's brother and then the director of the original film. I may have too much about this movie. Okay. Uh, but I am going to fully explain how this movie came about, how this got made. I'm going to be going over Somebody that. has to explain it. Yeah, and I am going to be doing that. But before we get to that, maybe we should take a break. Should we take a break? We should take a break, yes. I concur. We will be right back with more of the Pope on Film after 